Good. Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Craig F. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today's, today's date is Tuesday, October 15th, 2019. Today we're reading from the big book and we're at page 61, the first paragraph that starts with what usually happens. Today's readers are for the steps, Pam R., Traditions, Wendy M., uh, first reader is Larry uh, K., uh, second reader is Nancy P., Anita L., and newcomer readers Jody uh, E., and second hour host will be Rebecca B. Okay. Um, reference numbers for yesterday are, uh, for the 7 a.m. meeting, it's 13515. And for the 10 a.m. meeting, it's 13516. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, our OA's fifth tradition states that each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I'm now going to ask Pam R. to read the 12 steps. Pam? Thank you, Craig. Good morning. This is Pam R. I'm recovered in North Carolina. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him. Praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, next up we'll have Wendy M. reading the 12 traditions. Wendy? 
Good morning. Thank you, Craig. I'm Wendy M. in Raleigh, North Carolina. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscious. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations po policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. All right, thank you. Okay. How our meetings works. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There's no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 61, <laughs> the first paragraph, uh, and I'm going to ask Larry to begin reading. Larry? Hi, Craig. Uh, thanks so much for your service. What usually happens the show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think that life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious, as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? 
Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages well? Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Is he not, even in his best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? And again, this is Larry uh, recovered from, from Chicago. So, so as we navigate our way towards taking the third step, the big book is expanding on this notion of living by self-propulsion and, and, and all the pitfalls of trying to run our lives by self-will. And so I'm, I'm assimilating an understanding that expecting others to follow my script is the very selfishness that's keeping me from freedom. And, you know, I've heard the God job, you know, that, that's already been filled. I, I don't need to apply for that job. And let's be, let's be clear, from the time of the early Oxford group movement through Bill's experience to this very day, here we are in 2019, you know, a key element to becoming free is the absolute acceptance and understanding that selfishness, self-centeredness, that is the root of my problem. The food is not at the root of my problem. Other manifestations of this disease are not at the root of my problem. But this spiritual program identifies selfishness and self-centeredness as the root. And we learn in this paragraph precisely what will happen when I'm not thoroughly convinced that my life, fueled by self-will, will never be a success. In fact, in the grips of this disease, that self-centered life will result in futility and ultimately fatality. So the, the spiritual malady is more than just a bit frustrating. I mean, it's frustrating. It's, it's in fact, deadly. And if you go out in your communities, I know in mine, I'll bet you won't find many people in their 70s or older who are morbidly obese or severely underweight. But here's another truth in my observation. You'll find lots of people at a reasonably healthy weight who are nonetheless dead inside. In other words, physically they may be fine, but they're really not living. They're, they're, they're disconnected from their divine creator. So Bill goes on to describe the trajectory in a selfish alcoholic with a spiritual malady, notice he isn't even talking about the booze. We're not talking about donuts or Doritos here. He says he begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He becomes more demanding or gracious as the case may be. Nobody's following my script. Either they didn't get the memo or, or they're disregarding the memo. <laughs> now, I, I truly thought I had you all fooled, you know, that you, you couldn't see my selfish motives, but the big book calls me out and it says, is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Why couldn't I see that this self-seeking, regardless of my intentions, regardless of my motives, was evident to everyone else, and they were going to step on my toes, and I was going to retaliate, and I was going to spray everyone with a mist of confusion, you know, because they retaliated against me. So um, wrapping up, step three is very simple. The way I'm going to turn my will over to the God of my misunderstanding, the God that I don't believe in, is it's easy, just merely committing to working the rest of the steps. And when we complete the process, then God begins to enter our lives, and there's no need for food or for control or self-righteous contempt for others or being anchored to fear or tethered to resentment. Step three is a simple step on my road to freedom. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Craig. All right. Thanks, Larry. Okay. Uh, we're going to take names now. Um, 
and uh, for sharing. Um, so Tina who would S. like to share? Harlan G. Nancy Katie G. Nancy from Boston. Reva P. Nancy P. Nancy P. Barbara E. I asked you guys to hold up just a minute. Let me catch up on my writing here. All right, I'm going to tell you who I have. I have all I have so far is uh, Linda. Uh, is that right? Linda S. Harlan G. Nancy P. And Barbara E. Katie G. From Boston. <laughs> Jesse Jesse from South Jersey. Who from South Jersey? Kim J. Can you, can you oh, tell hi, me what we, where we read, please? Yes, we're on page 61, the first paragraph. Thank you. Reva P. Reva P. Okay. Uh, I, I've got a, a full lineup. I need to know. Oh, that was Tina asked. That's the first one. Tina, take us away. I mean, we're going to go Tina, Harlan, Nancy. And uh, from there, Tina. Thanks so much, Craig. Tina S. Recovered Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Wow, what a great paragraph. And so apropos for me this morning, you know, because bottom line, you know, what usually happens, the show doesn't come off very well, you know. And, and one of the things that I know today is that, you know, I can still get in this place of self-seeking for sure. You know, because it tells me in the 10th step when these crop up. And, uh, you know, one of the, and, and I, half the time I don't even know it, you know. Uh, initially, when I, I first came into the rooms, I think some of my character defects were survival mechani- mechanisms for many years that I took to extremes. And so for a long, long time, I was in denial about most, you know. But, but the good news is, and, and I loved the beginning share, it was just so, so very, very, on the nose, on the mark, you know, for me, you know, we're getting ready to make this third step. And do I believe that I am, you know, that what I'm doing is, is insane, that I am powerless, that my life's unmanageable, and that I need some help here to be restored to some sense of sanity, and that I cannot do this, and that there is a power bigger than me that can. And there are specific instructions in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous that bring me to that freedom, you know, to that spiritual awakening. And, you know, and I am, when I'm in self, when I am all self-centered, you know, there is all kind of uh, calamity around, confusion rather than harmony. All of that kind of stuff, that happens because I'm going to make something happen. And look out. You know, I step on the toes of my fellows all all the time when that happens because I am like a a boy in a china shop. I am getting something done and look out. You know, the good news is I can't be there for very long today because it's just too uncomfortable because I have been given the gift of freedom through working the steps. And so when I am disturbed, you know, uh, more times than not, you know, I say, okay, where am I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? And, and then I look at my inventory so that I can have some peace and some freedom. And that's what it's about today. You know, certainly, you know, I am to be of service and certainly I'm to be one among many and to help in this world and not be a producer of confusion. And, and the only way I can do that is... In, at, and it was just talked about. It's through the 12 steps. And with that, I'll pass. Great stuff. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Tina. All right. Uh, Harlan G., your turn, Harlan. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. I'm Harlan. Thank you for your service, and thank you to Team Tuesday for making this magnificent meeting possible. 
I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Yesterday we talked about the character defect of selfishness, and selfishness is a word that was used differently in the 1930s than it is today. Uh, selfishness denotes, yes, I want everything for myself, but more importantly, I want everybody to stick to my script. I want everybody to do things, do things my way. Today, we're talking about the character defect of self-seeking, and one of the more frequently asked questions is, of me anyway, of, and of others, I'm sure. What is the difference between selfishness and self-seeking? Selfishness is the script that I have. And the script that I have, when you don't stick to that script, you, you evoke fear in me. You evoke anger in me. You, you, you strike me with guilt and, and jealousy and rage and all this other stuff. And these emotions will drive me into the arms of a Milky Way bar. And today we're looking at self-seeking. What is self-seeking? Self-seeking is the action that I take to get my script stuck to. In other words, I'm going to ingratiate myself to you. I'm going to be harsh with you. But my goal, my aim, my ultimate goal is to get you to do my bidding. It's to stick to my script. And, and it says here something that's very key. Is he not a victim of the delusion? What is a delusion? A delusion is something that appears real, but is not. Delusion, illusion, mirage, these are all synonyms. And the, the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only I manage well. I'm going to outmanage, outthink, outmaneuver you, and this is how I'm going to get my happiness. And this is something I believed for a very, very long period of time in my life. And as I ready myself to take step three, which should take all of 30 seconds, and then do four through 12 every day for the rest of my life, what I'm coming to is I'm coming to a retrospect of the years of my life wasted trying to get my own way, and when I got my own way, it sucked. Now I want God's way. Now I want God's way, because it's so much better. He's so infinitely more knowledgeable. He's so infinitely more insightful. He's so infinitely more able to see the world in the gestalt, in the bigger picture, than I am with my finite human eyes. I'm going to trust infinite God rather than my finite self, and I'm going to get out of the driver's seat, sit in the back, and enjoy the view while I take the next indicated action because when I put my hands on things they stink and with that I'm going to pass thank you so much Craig all right thanks Harlan Nancy P I think Nancy I get the P. P's and the T's mixed up okay go ahead Nancy hi thanks for letting me share yeah um rest satisfaction oh man I just spent I feel like I spent my whole life manipulating and conniving to get my own way. And um, Harlan was exactly right. It never quite made the cut. It never, my fantasies never matched reality. 
if only this, if only that, the right guy, the right job, living in the city, not living in the city, everything, you know, all every single thing in my life was um, never quite made it to about what reality was all about until I started working these steps. And then for me, you know, here I am again, it's all really about surrender for me. I had to begin to like let retract my claws that were talents holding on to things. I mean, I had them, I had my life in a death grip and, and I was slowly squeezing, <laughs> squeezing it to death, you know, chopping things up into smaller and smaller pieces so that I could control things, you know, and I'd go down some rabbit hole. Oh, if I can do this and make this happen, then this will be, no, I have to forget about, you know, can't forget about that. I mean, it was exhausting. And, um, then I went through these steps and I, I will confess that, you know, I, none of them, none of them happened in real time. I wished during, you know, every chapter that I would, you know, come to believe and see and, and all that, make decisions. And the only thing that I did in real time was write my fourth step and take my fifth step. Um, everything else I had to wait until I had, you know, listened, learned, worked with my sponsor and, um, and you know, follow the directions. But once I did that, I learned how to let go and stop trying to run the show. And it's hard. I will say that it's hard sometimes, you know. But I get through things, and it's unbelievable. Um, I haven't, um, I haven't had the need to, um, you know, rest things in a long time. And with that, I'll pass. Well, thanks, Nancy. Okay, next up we have Barbara E. Barbara? Good morning, Larry. How are you? Sorry, Greg. How are you? <laughs> Wrong one. Okay, wow. Uh, I can tell you from my own personal experience that I have a PhD in dieting. I can lose weight and then immediately gain it back with friends and then lose weight again, and immediately gain it back with friends. So thin is not well. Thin is just thin. And I certainly suffered from all the character defects, whether I was thin or whether I was morbidly obese. Though I did hate that term when the doctors used it. And for me, there were three delusions. The first one, of course, is that Somehow, someday, I will be able to eat like a normal person. That just simply was not true. And the second one for me is that I can safely sometime in the future use my alcoholic food in some kind of safe way. I could not. I had to con concede to myself that I was a compulsive overeater and would be that way till the, till the day I die. It says an always saying, an old one is a cucumber can become a pickle, but it can never become a cucumber again. That's illustrated by the story on pages, I believe, 32 and 33 of the man who quit drinking at age 30. And on a much 
subtler level, the second delusion for me speaks to the unmanageability of my life, selfishness, self-centeredness, wanting to wrest everything I could get out of the world. I wanted to be... I wanted to be in control. I was critical. I was raging. I was hurtful. I was unpredictable. I was untrustworthy. And that was all while being thin. And I was the same, meaner than pissed, even when I gained all the weight back. Face in the food or out of the food, I was out of control. That third delusion found after the description of the actor, of uh, the alcoholic as the actor, right where we are today, is, is just saying to me that I'm that self-seeker. I'm, even when I'm trying to be kind, it's usually because I want something out of you. And I cannot wrest satisfaction and happiness out of the world if I manage well. If I were to hire me, as a life manager, I would have fired me. Life is inherently unmanageable. We'll come to see that. We, who can immediately change the circumstances that befall him or her? Thank you. No one, of course. Only God can. Thank you, I pass. All right, thanks. All right, next up we have Katie G. Katie? Good morning, Craig. Good morning, my fellows. KG recovered in Boston. And, you know, the best assignment I ever got, excuse me, uh, was reading these pages in the I perspective. What usually happens, the show doesn't usually come off very well. I begin to think, poor me, life doesn't treat me well, right? So when I put it in the I perspective, what do I get? <laughs> I get to see what my life is like without God. Because again, I need to be entirely convinced before I make this final decision that my life with God isn't going to work, right? And this is another illustration that nothing in this world can make me eat because it's telling me even when, you know, so the show doesn't come off very well. Well, maybe it's coming off well, but I'm still not happy. There's nothing you can do to make me happy because people aren't going to do what I want. And people-pleasing doesn't exist. Here's what people-pleasing is. I'm going to read your mind. I'm going to try, try and be gracious. And then when you're not doing what I want, I am going to yell at you or I'm going to be passive aggressive or I'm going to snub you, right? You pick your poison. And I remember um, several years ago I was working and I found out people were talking about me. And there's nothing worse that makes my blood curdle more than to know I get so afraid. So I went, started going to every colleague of mine, and I, I started off very nicely. Hey, you know, I've kind of heard that things are, by the last colleague, I was like, do not talk about me. Do not say anything, right? What am I trying to do? I'm in delusional thinking, not denial. I'm in de delusional thinking that you are a doll, and I can move you around and get you to do what I want. And what was so profound when I finally did a 10-step, because my friends, this was several years ago when I was 
recovered was that I am a producer of confusion rather than harmony. What does that mean? Well, from the very beginning time that I entered this program, I had a sponsor say to me once, do you know you, you said the exact opposite thing to me yesterday? And I didn't know, not because I was in denial, but because I was delusional. I completely believed that I needed to say this opposite thing the next day and that that was the truth, and that is the worst part of this. And so I tell you one thing, and you another, and then you another, and I created this mess of confusion at my job. Why? Because I have self-centered fear. Because everything in this world, when I do not have God, is about me. You may have gas, and look at me, I'll just wrap up with this, and look at me with a funny look on my face, doesn't matter, it's all about me, I've done something wrong. Me, me, me. And thank God this program is about death of self. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. All right, Kim G., your turn. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G., and I've been recovered since January 2011. And, you know, as I read this, I, you know, I think of what my prejudices were about step three. I thought step three was basically Santa Claus. Like, I'm going to give God this laundry list of things he's supposed to accomplish today, and if I'm a good little girl, I'm going to have presents underneath my tree. And if I'm a bad little girl, I'm going to have coal in my stocking. And that is not what step three is in the big book. You know, in these pages, 60 to 63, I'm being confronted with what is life like in self heal? What is life like when Kim's in charge? And what I find is I suck. I suck as a manager of my life. And because I'm being confronted on page 60 to 63 of what life is going to be like if I continue this way, I am forced into a decision to learn a new way of life. I don't turn anything over in step three. I'm being driven to make this decision. I learn the skill set in course for nine, and then I implement it in 10 and 11. So I actually turn my life and my will over in 10 and 11, not in step three. You know, one of my AA mentors in Philadelphia, he says, the big book meets you where you are and elevates you from there. So I'm going to skip into 10 and 11, and let me tell you, I use these pages as part of my step 11 practice, because if step 11 is God-centered and other-centered, and step three is self-centered, I can use these paragraphs to see, am I going back to self-centered, or am I still grounded in a power greater than myself? Everyone's been talking about this, this paragraph, the delusion that we can rest satisfaction, and I, like Katie, say it in first person. And I put in, instead of world, I put in, am I trying to um, wrest happiness out of my parents, out of my job? I had to call the cops on my neighbor last week, and I had to use this because I was trying to figure it out myself, and I finally had to concede I needed help with this neighbor. The one that always hits me, though, is that last one. Am I not, even in my best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? And people often say, how can you tell if you're in self-will or God's will? Well, after going on, um, after after going through this work, what I realize is if I'm in confusion, I'm in Kim's will, and if I'm in harmony, I'm in God's will. And I remember in a special edition years ago, someone talking about the Serenity Prayer beautifully this way: God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, which is steps one through three; the courage to change the things I can, which is four through nine and the wisdom to tell the difference, which is 10 and 11. And that tells me, until I get to 10 and 11, 
I have no freaking idea what God's will is. And this part, these pages are telling me why I need to get through the rest of the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Okay, Reva P., your turn. Reva. Good morning. This is Reva P. Uh, good morning. Grateful, recovered, yeah. compulsive overeater in Toronto. I love these paragraphs because they show me what my life is like and what I am like, as people have shared, when I'm abstinent only and I'm not working all the steps. Um, and um, how do I get to step three? How do I get to this decision? I try to do it my way. And I try to do it my way with the food. And I continue often to try to do it my way out of the selfishness, self-will, in other areas of my life. And thank you, God, the bottom is raised and I don't need to be disturbed as deeply and as long before I realize I'm trying to run the show yet again. And then I come to a point where I have to stop and make a decision. Um, and I love how it's described, um, you know, what life is like. This is describing in self-will. But what am I making a decision to do? I'm making a decision to do it differently. And somebody once used a metaphor with me. You know, it's like I'm in a sailboat and I'm trying, I'm deciding I have to get to X point on the shore. And I'm fighting with the wind and I'm fighting with the sail and I'm pushing and I'm twisting and my boat is rocking and I'm not getting there and I'm zigzagging all over the water and I'm getting exhausted. And finally I stop and I realize this isn't working. This is so not working. Um, and I start moving the sail in alignment with the wind and my boat goes and I end up in a different place on the shore and the ride is smooth and it's joyful and that's what it's like when I'm in alignment with God's will. Things work out with ease. But at this point, I'm just making a decision um, to do that because my way isn't working. And, you know, I've heard people say, let go and let God, let go and let God, and that's step three. That's not step three. Step three is just making the decision. Um, and I just wanted to end with um, the way the 12 and 12 describes this. It says, it's when I try to make my will conform with God's that I'm using it rightly. And for me, this was a great revelation. Like, duh, didn't think of that. Because my whole problem had been the misuse of my willpower. I'd been trying to bombard my problems instead of attempting to bring them into alignment and agreement with God's intention for me. And the purpose of step three is to just open the door and make that decision. Um, so that's a great reminder for me. And with that, I pass. Okay. Thank you, Reva. Next, um, we're going to take a new list of names. And uh, I forgot to say this the first time around, but if you've shared in the last couple of days, we ask you to hold back and uh, let other people have a chance. Uh, so who would like to share on this paragraph? Melissa, Melissa from Manahama from New York. Jen A. I've got I got you, Jen. I got Melissa and Nahama. Terry Joy. Terry Joy. Terry C. Terry C. Was there a Joy? Julie E. B. Julie E. B. Yep. There was a Joy. 
There's always joy. Anybody else? Okay, well, let's get going. Uh, Melissa, uh, your turn. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for your service, Greg. This is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, you know, um, I don't know about all of you people, but I'm really nice. And so I'm not so selfish. Like, like you know, what I want for everybody is good. I, I want only good stuff for my family and my workplace and my students and my parents. And, you know, and so I could not understand that I was – you know, even in my desire to be good, to I want, like, really nice things out of life. I want everybody to be happy. My problem is, I've got two big problems, uh, you know, to start with. One is that I really believe I'm, like, a know-it-all to the core. So I really, really believe that I know what's going to make everybody happy, what's going to make this a better life. And, um, you know, and there's a big problem with that, Um like, I don't know, and, and when I always have to come back to is, I don't even know how much food to put in my body, you know, and yet I'm going to tell other people exactly what they need to do, but, but I, I, I have to put my food on a scale and report it and write it down to another grown-up on a daily basis. Like, that's how broken I am, so I really know very little. And the other, like, major problem with um, thinking you know what's best for other people and telling them is they don't like it. (laughs) You know, the people in my world don't like it very much. And I really, I did not have any idea that I was doing this because I'm so sweet. You know, that's my way of being manipulative. It's pretty rare. Uh, I do throw, you know, some tantrums, but most of the time I've I've learned how to be – I'm like, you know, like a politician. I'm really good at mediating in my family. And so I had no clue that I was doing this. Um, and, and I overheard, like, my husband will jokingly refer to me as the boss. And, and then I overheard him in a conversation with his friend. And I wanted to die. Like, I, I realized, oh, my God, I, I really... This is not a nice trait, and and everybody sees through it, um, and it and it causes confusion. It causes mistrust. It makes people not be upfront and honest with you, with me, um, and that's no way to live. You know, my best thing is to keep my eye on my own plate, on my own side of the street. Um, and love the people exactly where they're at. And, you know, the other thing that I can say really quick is that I can be an example, not a cautionary tale, and sometimes that's the best I can do. Thanks, and I'll pass. All right. Thank you, Melissa. Nahama, your turn. Nahama? Yes, here I am. I had to unmute. Thank you so much for your service and letting me share. You know, I was thinking a bunch of things. Um, Thinking about how God has given me hopes, dreams, and positive aspirations. But always um, my actions and words need to be 
uh, up-leveled from an addictive demand to a preference. And the context needs to be, thy will be done. Somebody needs to mute, please. Uh, thy will be done, because I, like has been said before me in various different ways, I don't know what's necessarily the best. You know, I want my loving self wants to prevent people from suffering. But who knows? I don't know. You know, maybe they need that suffering like I needed my suffering, you know, to transform my state of being, uh, you know, they, that analogy of the butterfly that, you know, when a, they say that when a butter caterpillar is turning to a butterfly, that it's physically painful and, you know, a lobster having to lose its shell in the world, you know, to grow a new shell, um, a more appropriate and more fitting shell is a painful and frightening situation to the animal, but it's a necessary part of growth. And, you know, the caterpillar wouldn't become the butterfly if it didn't go through that. So my wanting and thinking, you know, that eliminating my loved one's suffering is, is for the highest good may not be for the highest good. So um, I'm just, uh, yeah, so it's, you know, it's always got to be for me, you know, a surrender to my my higher power, surrendering my day, the the things that I say and the things that I do. And, you know, keep calibrating for every situation, like, you know, the pilot who uh, has a destination, they say that the plane goes off course, like 90% of the time, and it's the pilot's job to bring it back on course. So that he has to keep steering it back on course. And that's how, you know, it is in my life, I have to be reminded and I, I'm grateful when I have the willingness to come on meetings like this and to remind myself that my job is to bring myself back on course. And what that course is, is thy will be done. Not mine, but thy will be done. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Nahama. Okay, uh, Jen A. Good morning, Jen. Good morning, Craig. How are you, my friend? Um, Jen A. Oh, Jen A. Recovered um, compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic here in Colorado this morning. Um, wow, I'm just sitting here listening to everything. It's so fantastic. Like the room feels like it's heating up, and I had to open the window. I'm like, it's hot in here. This is good stuff. Um, these pages for me. Um, I'm the girl who's pages 60 to 63. I'll always be pages 60 to 63. That's never going to stop, but I know that because these are the pages that are falling out of my big book today. Um, you know, I'll never forget sitting face-to-face with my sponsor on a Saturday morning and, you know, how was your week? Let's just check in, da 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 And he would go, great, sounds like Aaron self-will again. Open it up, 60 to 63, and we'd continue to read over and over. And you know what? I haven't stopped reading those pages because I'm never going to – I'm never going to lose that selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and fearful nature 
Um, but I'm, I'm just praying and, and practicing these principles one day at a time so that God can give me more of a heart like his. Um, the, thing that remind, the thing that just sticks out for me in this paragraph we read this morning was manages well. And I think to myself, oh, my gosh, I love that, a manager. Like, I'm managing my own life, right? And when I came into this program, I know for sure that I was a super-duper manager. I was a managing mom, a managing um, a sister. Um, I was a managing um, a coworker. And you know what happened to a girl like me is I ran others into the ground. I drove over them with a Mack truck and I made sure I backed up over them to make sure that they were taken down. Um, and that didn't serve me too well. But when I opened these pages and I saw my life unfolding, 60, 61, 62, 63, I was like, oh boy, this is me, Jen Marie, right? And I just thought to myself, you know what? It was talked about this morning that um, the action that I take to get my script stuck to, that's what, that's what we're talking about, that self-seeking that was so beautifully taught to us this morning, is that, you know what? If I'm such a good manager, why is my life so freaking unmanageable? Wasn't it just like a few pages ago, like 52, where I'm looking at that unmanageability paragraph called the bedevilment, and I looked it straight in the eyes and I answered all those questions. And so now it's showing me how I do it, right? And I love how people say it, I, 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 I'm that girl. Um, you know, I'm so grateful today that I, dis I made a decision, and we're going to read about it on the next page, so don't go away. The best is yet to come, right? I made a decision for a director to come and run the show, and I'm having to put that person in the director's seat every single day because a girl like me cannot keep managing. I'm not managing well. So just love this paragraph, um, love all the discussion on the lines this morning, super, super grateful, um, glad that I don't have to manage my life or anyone else's today. I can keep putting that down and uh, keep putting God in the director's chair. So thanks, everybody. Have an awesome day. Craig, are you there? Oh, I'm sorry, I was muted. Next we have Terry C. Terry? Thanks, Craig. This is Terry C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New Jersey. And uh, this morning, yeah, you know, I'm reminded why it's a we program because we're all claiming this. We're all claiming these character traits, this characteristic, this root of our problems and uh, you know I remember the first time I read and I don't remember reading the whole chapter that long ago but I just remember being struck cold the cold truth striking me when I read that I was a victim of the delusion that I was wresting satisfaction and happiness out of this world because I, you know I was trying to manage more well and more well and more well and it was so apparent to me that that's what I was doing and then I remember not picking up this book again, and I'm wondering if it's sentences like these, the cold truth that scared me away, scared me away. And, you know, denial of the truth leads to destruction. And so today I'm looking at it and I'm saying, you know, this was definitely the most riveting sentence for me in understanding that, um, you know, self-centeredness is the root of my troubles. But when I read it this morning, I'm reading that, you know, when I interpreted this in, in myself, in my more selfish state of mind, 
I was reading that I could wrest satisfaction and happiness out of my world if only I managed well, because that's what it was to me at that point. You know, I didn't have that concern or that need to have concern for others. I didn't care about others' viewpoints or what the world's influence was. You know, I didn't care. It was my world. It was my world. You know, I was controlling it as best I could because it was my world. And today I realize that's the psychic change for me. The psychic change is understanding that it's God's world and the people in it he asks me to help him care for. And that is a total psychic change. Doesn't mean that I'm not still going to keep an inventory and realize, you know, how I have to keep working toward excellence, keep working toward that path, that snowy white path. It just means that today I don't have to be stuck to it. I don't have to be drowning in it like quicksand. Um, so I'm just real grateful to read this paragraph today and to still get a better understanding of what that means, even though way back when, 20-some years ago, when I came in the rooms and I read that sentence, um, it had my name on it, and uh, I didn't even uncover what it really was saying to me. I'm still uncovering what it says to me, and I'm grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Next, we have Julie E.B. Julie? Hi, this is Julie E.B., gratefully uh, recovered today um, in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, and uh, I, too, like some of my fellows before me, this was my first page, my first pages, and then this chapter uh, that fell out of my big book. And a friend sent me a picture recently that uh, if our pages are falling out, uh, falling apart, our big book is falling apart, our life isn't. Um, and uh, that's how I feel today. Um, what usually happens, the show doesn't come off very well, and it was really a show. Um, there was this uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, there was this outside of uh, pretending to be pleasing and nice, and um, uh, no one was really, uh, quote, unquote, ever mad at me. I mean, they were confused. At one point in my workplace, they told a supervisor of mine that there were two Julies, and until I read Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I didn't get it. I was putting on a show, and then I was coming home and eating everything in sight. And so I was 300 pounds and bedbound and screaming and had no idea from spasm in my back. I had no idea over those four months uh, why there was so much pain. And it's because I thought I was a victim of the delusion that I could wrest satisfaction and happiness out of the world, out of this world if I only managed well. And uh, by putting on this show, whether I was, uh, I was being pleasing uh, or gracious or demanding, most gracious at work and then demanding at home, wrecking havoc with my family and creating confusion. These people are like, she just goes with it and then all of a sudden she flips. Um, but still the play didn't suit me. And I love that the word victim is in here because as I've said before, um, I just thought life was happening to me. Um, and yeah, I'm sure other people are more to blame. I would sit and spin. Uh, we call it the codependent crazies, but I would just spin about other people and what I could email back and what I could answer back. Um, angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is their problem? Why can't I please them? Well, because I didn't even have um, a self. I was a self-seeker, um, but I didn't have what I have now. 
um, which is <laughs> just yesterday with uh, mice and uh, problems with kiddos and work and all sorts of things. And I was just called um, a friend after I was sort of disturbed on the 10 step. I was disturbed, sort of. There we go. I was disturbed on the 10 step. And then uh, I, I called someone who knew me better who said, look, you got to let this go. And I was trying to wrest satisfaction and happiness out of the world if I just manage well. I guess the most important thing I want to say about this is this is where I got step one for my life. Um, this is where I could let go of perfectionism and self-loathing um, and understand that, no, I can't manage well. And I can't tell you how many people have called me and said, I just can't manage all this, and especially around kids. And it's like, that's right, we can't. We can't. We already know the answer, and uh, we cannot do that. So thank you for letting me share, and uh, uh, you guys are awesome. Bye. Thanks, Julie. Okay, next we have joy, I believe. Always good to have some joy in our life. Joy? Was there a joy? Maybe I just wanted to hear some joy. Uh, okay, I have time for one more quick share. Anybody want to take it? About two minutes. Tina J. Go ahead. Great, thank you. You know, I lived. This was my life right here. <laughs> my whole life was this paragraph. I was born. Um, I think I was born with a nervous disposition, and the life surrounded me uh, didn't calm that down. I'm sure my mother had a nervous disposition. Uh, we all grew up with just this irritable, restless, and discontent thing. There was something driving me. I didn't know what, but I figured it was my career. I needed to get my career done. Uh, I needed to be successful. I needed to push down those walls and those doors. <clears throat> and uh, I didn't know how to do it. There's no manual that tells me how to be a famous musician. That was my deal. I was going to be a famous musician, and the world was going to love me. And I was going to be able to do service after the world loved me. I mean, I had good intention, but um, I thought I had to control everything. I learned those talents and tools when I was a kid. And you know what? I'm not blaming my parents for what I learned from them because it served me well, because it brought me eventually to my knees, deep into my addiction, as uh, Ginger C. says, those beautiful bites, these beautiful tools of... Um, <laughs> of irritable, restless, and discontent, you know, it made me really surrender to God eventually. It, this helped me find what this step three, these words helped me find what one, two, one and two were about. And step four brought, you know, brought the hammer down because I saw myself. I exerted myself so hard during those years of trying to become famous. I became more demanding or gracious. I was very nice, like many have said on the line. Still, the play didn't come out like I wanted it to. I became angry, indignant, self-pitying. I wrote letters that people saw. Uh, many, many, many people saw. Why, what, why don't you pay attention to me? Why aren't I famous? I have talent. Blah, blah, blah. I was a self-seeker. I was a delusion. I, had a, 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 I was Don't a victim reminder. of the delusion, thank you so much, that I could wrest satisfaction out of the world if I only managed well. Well, that didn't work, and now I'm doing one day at a time in this program, 10, 11, 12, and I, it, 
encourage you to jump on the bus. It's 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 a great ride. Thank you so much for letting me share. All right, thanks, Nina, for taking us out. Um, uh, you're going to be the last share for this morning. Um, thanks to everybody who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for this meeting that's just now concluding is 13,518. That's for today, October 15th, 2019. 13,518. We'll now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will uh, Nancy P., uh, please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, Craig. I'd be glad to. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.